book of Proverbs, and uh, uh, it's been a great uh, journey. I, for my, me personally, anyhow, I've really enjoyed uh, laying it out. And uh, last week, we saw and examined some, some really great principles when we looked at it both doctrinally as it applies prophetically to the second coming of Christ, and then uh, there were some great practical things in there for, for you and for me in, in everyday life. You remember, uh, we started out in, in, with verse 2, and we talked about uh, Christ as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, How, and that's always a picture of the second coming when uh, he, uh, he comes back. And then I, I remember the week before, uh, we had preached on verse 1 on uh, wine and strong drink in a practical way. And then I, I took it last week and I, I showed you how that in the context of the wine here is a, is a picture of the uh, Antichrist in the tribulation where the Bible says in the book of Revelation uh, chapter 17 that the world uh, and the kings of the world are made drunk with the wine of, of her fornication. Babylon mystery religion. So we tied all that together. Then, uh, you know, we got into uh, verse 3 there, which I think is one of the most practical uh, verses in the Bible and certainly a great one for all of us. And that's how that uh, it talked about there was an, it was an honor for uh, a Christian uh, to uh, solve problems instead of cause problems. Uh, being aware that, uh, you know, that uh, we have a mission and that mission is to further the cause of Christ. And so uh, many times the devil will try to do things and the world will try to do things and uh, uh, they try to mess that up. And our job is to smooth it out, to keep it going, and deal with it biblically. And that was a great principle. We looked in verse 4 and we talked about how that the sluggard, the sluggard in the book of Proverbs is a, uh, it's a unique study unto itself. We think of a sluggard as somebody, you know, that is slow and somebody that is lazy, and, and that is true. But in the book of Proverbs, uh, it's always somebody that's connected with the Antichrist. So when you find it, you always want to look at it carefully uh, from a doctrinal standpoint. And it basically said that a, a sluggard is not will uh, willing to uh, plow by the reason of cold. And it, it, we talked about it from the aspect of how God's people are not willing today to, uh, to work uh, for the Lord and to do the ministry. The Bible says the fields are white unto harvest. And we ought to be out there, you know, doing the work of the Lord. Yet many people uh, just won't do that, God's people. And then we looked at, I think, probably the, uh, a, a verse that really deals with an issue that I think is, is paramount today. And that was verse 5 when it talks about the, uh, the counsel uh, in the heart of man being like deep water. And we talked about the three dimensions of, of life. You know, from our everything that we look at is is part of the three dimensions, and yet uh, we talk about the fourth dimension. And the fourth dimension, you know, in the world, as I said last week, is that paranormal parano paranoia, yeah, that paranormal world where uh, you know it's a it's a spiritual world that um, that the physical world can't see. People are always trying to break into that, but in in reality, in the Bible, that fourth dimension is the depth of the Word of God. Bible talks about the Bible being a book that, that uh, the knowledge passes all understanding. Talks about being the unsearchable riches. And, you know, God is eternal. And the Bible makes it very clear that the mind, the Bible is the mind of Christ. So the Bible is eternal. And it's the depth of it is how deep do you go uh, in the Word of God. I, I talked about uh, um, every sports team has a depth chart by which they look at the versatility of the players. And I made that analogy to what we have here. We have an incredible depth chart here. 
You know, we talked about the Lincoln crew, and we talked about in the, yesterday in the people ministry. Uh, we talked about that, uh, you know, and all the things that we go through. And God has just given us men and women here that, that have a real depth to them. Uh, they see beyond the, the normal circumstances of issues in people's lives. They put aside the petty things that, that mess up so many people. And they focus on looking for in that person what needs to be developed. That's depth. The ability to see beyond what you see and see the real issue involved and being able to address that. It, it, talking about, uh, we, he talked about in that verse about somebody drawing from that, like a deep well and drawing up water from that deep well. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is a well that it, it springs into everlasting life. The Bible is a book that runs deep in deep waters. And you and I, when we get into issues in life, we should be able to draw from that to solve our problems. And I know that many times today in the church age that we live in, a lot of God's people are saved and they're going to heaven, but they have no depth to them. And they have no ability to solve their issues. And around here, you know, when we try to help you with the Bible, we have a number of things that we try to do. You know, discipleship one, you know, is a great entry level to just building your own relationship with God. And then we have the discipleship two, which takes you to the next level. And we, we have things that go on all the time here because our goal is to help you get to the point in your life where you, you can handle life problems coming your way because you have something to draw on. I made the analogy of your heart being like a bank account where you put money on the account and when something goes wrong in your physical world, you go to the bank and you get money out to, to cover it. Well, in your own spiritual life, you put the Word of God, the principles on the account of your heart. And when tough times come and things come into your world, then you have the ability to draw off of that, the deep things of the Bible. And my goal here is simply, uh, you know, I do many things and we do many ways, many things to accomplish those things. But bottom line is this. I want you to be able to stand on your own two feet when it comes to life and the issues of life, being able to draw off the Word of God. I want to build a depth in you. I'm not satisfied with you. If you just want to be a nominal Christian, you know, this is, I mean, you're welcome to be here and I, you can take whatever you want. But I'm, I'm looking for more than that. I'm looking for people who want to have a depth. They want to know and understand God at a level that is unprecedented uh, with, with where we're at today in the church age. I want you to be able to stand on your own two feet. Now, we're always here to help you. Uh, you know, we'll always be here to go through any issue that you struggle with. But it has to come to a point in your life where, um, you know, you have to stand on your own two feet spiritually. When people come into our church and they have issues or they're young Christians or they get saved, you know, we put a team around them to help them grow and help them. And that's fine. But you need to understand that you can only take off of somebody else's spirituality for so long. Then you have to develop your own. And that's what we want to do here. And that's really the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is about a wise man and a foolish man. You know, and, uh, you know, I was thinking of David, you know, when we were talking about uh, a little earlier. You know what the key... Would you hold that for me? No, I'm just kidding. You know what the key to your success is? I'm going to tell you. And you're a smart kid, but you probably haven't figured this out because it's a little, you wouldn't see it. You know what, you know why you're where you're at right now today? Because when you came here, you're like Samuel to me. You let none of his words fall to the ground. You come to everything. I watched you last night at, uh, uh, at uh, Jason's Deli, and you, 
there's a bunch of old folks sitting at the table. You know, that don't mean that bad. You know, Phil and Barb and those things. You know, we're the older folks. You notice I wasn't sitting there. <laughs> I was making my drug deal laid out there so I could be on top of the world today. But the bottom line is this. You let none of his words fall to the ground. If we had a catfish gutting activity, you'd be there. You, you just, you never, you never, you never let anything stop you. And that's, David, that's why you're, that's where you're, where you're at today. And I'm so proud of you. But you just, you were, you, and you always show up. You always are there. Uh, you, 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 you know, people talk about, well, well I, I, I don't, you know, I don't have any friends. Get with him. <laughs> he didn't have any friends either. Now everybody loves him. And it's, it's part of the thing. And I want to commend you for that. That was a real inspiration and a model. And I want it to be an encouragement for you. God's got something special for you. He really does. And I'm glad that he brought you here, that we could be part of that. And I love you very much. But that's it. You're on your way to digging the deep well. And that's why you're here. And that's why you, you, you saw this place for what it is, and you said, you know what? I'm going to take everything that God has for me. And that's why you're going to be something great. And Bob, I appreciate you taking him up there and, 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 and telling him what you told me, you know, just telling him, encourage him, and, you know, don't be nervous. Take a deep breath, you know. And just, uh, you know, I, I just, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And if that doesn't work, you come and see me. I got some of these little white pills. It'll just make you all easy to go. I'm saying all that to say this. I am proud of the depth chart of my church. I'm proud of what God has done in so many of your lives. And I'm proud of the fact that, uh, that I could put many of you in any situation. You're starting your discipleship today, aren't you, with Steve Brackeen. You know what? Couldn't find a better guy to disciple you. Keep your hand on your wallet, but, <laughs> but and you know what? And God's going to do something with you, too. He really is. He really is. And I'm so excited about it. You know, it, it, but it, there again, you know what? I see faces up here when I preach, and I love to watch faces. You know, most preachers, they never look at their crowd. Uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Because I can adjust my sermon based on what I see in your face. If I, if I start out and I see some of you seem like you're not enjoying it, I'll turn up the heat so you'll enjoy it even less, see? <laughs> but I, I watch you. you. You've always got a smile on your face. You take in everything that is said. And that's what, I'm, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You came here this morning to get something. And that's, that's the key, your attitude about it. And I'm just... I'm proud of the depth of this church. I'm proud of the men and the women that uh, have labored with me for so many years and, and the ones that, you know, that are coming in that you have really, you know, you have really just, you have let God take you to a depth that is unbelievable. And I watched God bringing in all the different dimensions uh, that really balances out our church. You know, it, it's just great. And I look at churches that, that some of you churches left, but maybe they didn't treat you right. I look at it as their loss is our gain. I really do. Because you came here and you knew you could have whatever you want. And I just, you know, I just love God for doing that. And that's, I just want, I want it to be a place where you can get as much of God as you want and you can be, have the depth that God wants you to have. There's tough times coming, folks. Amen. Tough times coming. And uh, the only thing that's going to get us through besides hanging on to each other, is how deep we go and the depth, the foundation that we lay. And that's what we're all about here. And I, and I just thank God for it. And so we talked about that, understanding 
you know, that each of you uh, have to build your own well and dig it deep and then draw off of it. So today, you know, I want to I wanna pick it up in Proverbs chapter 20, and I want to look at verses 6 and 7 here, and uh, two powerful verses, and I think you'll get a, a real blessing out of this today. It says, uh, it says in verse, uh, uh, verse 6, it says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Now, just stop and think about that verse for a minute. We're going to talk about it here in a second. It says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Then it says in verse 7, The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Mike, would you stand up and ask God blessing on the service for me this morning? Yeah. I'm sorry. I should have called you Michael. You didn't know who I was talking to. Everybody calls you Michael. I called you Mike. Sorry about that. I'm Bob, by the way. I'm the pastor here. It's good to have you this morning. Now, let's begin by looking at verse 6. It simply says this. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Now, if there's ever been a commentary in one verse on human nature and the way we are, it's, it's verse 6. It really is. It, it really is. Uh, if it ever was a verse that, that it really defines uh, human nature at its best or worst, however you want to define it, uh, it's this one. You know, man, a man saved or lost will always find something good to say about himself. Uh, I've never seen it fail. Uh, you know, we'll talk about his self-worth. He'll talk about his self-righteousness. He'll talk about that he's a self-made man. He'll talk about that he's self-motivated. All of those things that, and some of them can be good, but we always come to the point, human nature, men and women, that, you know, no matter how, how bad off we are, we always have something good to say about ourselves. And I, and I want to talk today about goodness. I want to talk about goodness. I want you to leave here today understanding goodness. And you know, it's no, it's no accident that the Bible talks about that we as God's people need to be good to each other. And I want to define that goodness. I want to show you why that is. You know, when you look down through history, history is its own commentary on how a man will exalt himself uh, to get away from his need to give God the glory. And that's what man does. That's what all the self aspect is. He wants to exalt himself and then convince himself that he doesn't need God because, you know, he's okay through his own goodness. And, and down through history, you've seen it. Uh, Thomas Paine was a, was a great, atheist, a great atheist, and uh, he cared nothing for the things of God, cared nothing for the Word of God, and he, he hated Christianity with a passion. And he said, uh, when somebody asked him one time if he went to church or if he believed in God, he, his, his statement was, he says, to do good is my religion. And, and that is a statement that men make today, you know, they think that's true. In contrast to that, Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, there's none that do with good, no, not one. So you see, we've got, we got, we got a contrast between the two, Socrates. Socrates, the big three, Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. They probably formed, uh, when the times of the Gentiles came in in, uh, in, uh, in, in 606 B.C., uh, once the Babylonians went and the, uh, uh, pretty soon the uh, uh, Greeks popped up with Alexander the Great, the Greeks really defined 
wisdom and knowledge for the world even to this day. Uh, they, are given the, uh, they are given the hallmark of, of being the greatest culture uh, and the greatest wisdom uh, from which all wisdom flowed. Uh, the Greeks were, were famous for uh, their great philosophy. And all of the philosophy today, you know, that we have goes back to the Greeks. Well, you see it in colleges. Uh, you have a, a, a female, uh, the sororities or the, uh, the men's version of it, the, uh, what is it? Fraternities. Fraternities, yes. I almost said fertility, but that's not going to work. <laughs> the fraternities, you know, uh, they're, all, they're all captured by, by Greek letters. And in, in, in those fraternities and those facilities there are supposed to be places for learning where kids can get together and study. So they put the Greek words on it because Greek, the Greeks were synonymous with, with knowledge and wisdom. And, of course, the, from the world's standpoint. And, you know, and all philosophy today started with the Greeks. Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. We call them the big three. Uh, there was another guy that was kind of famous. His name was Esophagus. But his stuff was kind of hard to swallow, so you didn't follow too much with him. Socrates said one time, and, and he lived about 469 to 394. He said, I have never done wrong to any man. And yet, if you look at his life and you look at his teachings, yeah, right. About 40 million people died and went to hell through what you taught and what you wrote and what you laid out over the next 2,000, 3,000 years. You know, uh, Solomon said one time, and Socrates was, was, was hailed as being a, a very wise man. But the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, that there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You see, the world has one view of it, of goodness. And then the Bible has another view of goodness. And I want to define what goodness is for you today. I want you to leave here today understanding that if you have any goodness at all about you, I want you to understand what it is and where it comes from. And uh, according, to, according to Buddha, I almost said Bubba. <laughs> you know, if you just take the two Ds and turn them into Bs, you got Bubba. And my handwriting kind of looked like Bs, but that's all right. You know. according, to, according to Buddha, who lived 563 to 483, a man uh, uh, can and should do things, uh, good things in his life. But, uh, you know, when you get down into the Roman Catholic Church uh, from 480 to the present, all the Pope said, you can attain sainthood by doing good all of your life. And, you know, uh, they have people who are canonized as saints, and uh, they have to have a track record of doing good things, have to have so many miracles associated with them. And uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, as, as many religions, as the world system, it's all built on good works and doing good for people. Uh, Muhammad, five, 570 to 630, he said, you can do good to man if you follow Koran. And everybody takes that philosophy. But according to the Bible, the Bible says that all of our righteousness is filthy rags in the sight of God. So you have man looking at goodness one way, and then you have God and the Bible looking at it another way. You know, the key to God and a key to relationship with God is to see yourself as you really are and understand what goodness really is and how it does apply to you and how you apply it. I mean, we go around today as God's people, and I really think most of us never really fully understand how we view God and how God views us. And because of that, we get ourselves caught up in this thing that there's something good about us that we have something good to offer. 
And uh, I, I'll tell you, that's just not true. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It's always been a favorite. i got a great sermon. I've never really preached it to you, but it, I, it, it's a, it, I, I really enjoy preaching it. It starts out in, in verse 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and it talks about, I saw the Lord lifted up, sitting upon his throne. And it talks about how that the glory of the Lord filled the whole house and that the seraphim were crowding out, holy, holy, holy. And the first four verses really lift the Lord up and show him sitting on the throne of his glory and all of the glory that just fills everything about him. And the whole earth, the Bible says, is full of his glory. But then you come to verse 5. You come to verse 5 and Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what? When you really see who God is, it'll really show you who you really are. And so many of us never find out who we really are because we never really see who God is. Here in this church, one of the things that I want to do for you and all that we do is to let you see how God looks at you and how you should look at Him. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 13, that we talk about uh, proclaiming God and who we witness to and, and, uh, and you guys that preached up there in Lincoln and my preaching today and all the things that we do. And we, we look at that and we think, and we think uh, you know what, I was really good and I really enjoyed it. And, I, and I'm really excited about that. But you've got to understand goodness. Because that Bible says in Romans 3, 13, that our very throat that we preach the Word of God with is an open sepulcher to God. Bible says there's none that understandeth. We say, well, I really love the Bible and I really study the Bible and I want to know and I want to get God's understanding. The Bible says there's none that understandeth. None. That all have gone out of their way to trample God and His Word under our feet. Romans 3.12 says there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now that's why man will have an attitude toward the things of God. That's why he'll have an attitude toward the Bible. That's why he'll have an attitude about everything that God does because it's based on this one issue. The negativity of man when it comes to God is un, an unprecedented in the Bible. And yet we try to put ourselves away from the Bible because we want to find some good in us. And I'm going to tell you, there is no good in us. Nothing. Nothing. Guy told me one time, he said, well, you're, you know, you're one of the last Guys that are standing for the King James Bible, God really needs. Let me tell you something. If God is counting on this guy, we're in trouble. For there ain't nothing good in me. And I want you to understand what goodness is this morning. Because you're sitting here, and if you're saved, and you're dialed in, we're to do good to other people. We're to do good for other people. But I want you to understand this morning where that goodness comes from. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me. It certainly doesn't. That's why people will hate negative preaching. They'll hate anything about the Bible that doesn't allow us to be as good as we think we are. I knew a guy one time that nobody thought he would get married because nobody thought he could ever find anybody that loved him as much as he did. And so many times that's where we're at. We build ourselves up in our own greatness. We build ourselves up in the good things that we do. And yet, there's none to do with good, no, not one. In the liberal teaching, in the liberal theology today, they teach that 
unsaved man has a little divine spark in him that God put in there. And the preacher, when he gets up, the liberal preacher, through good works and through the things that he does, we fan that little divine spark in man. And that little divine spark then blossoms and catches fire and the man becomes a light for God. All goes back that in that man is a little divine spark that just needs to be worked with. Let me tell you something. You do have a divine spark in you, and it's going to land you right in the lake of fire if something doesn't change in your life. It isn't about you have any good in you at all. It isn't. And I'm, I'm building you up to show you the goodness here in just a second. But you don't have any good in us. The Bible says that man's eyes are no good in Romans chapter 3, verse 18. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 3, that our hands are no good. And it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 15, again, that our feet are no good. Self-justification, self-righteousness, pride, arrogancy. Arrogancy in the fact that it all comes to us instead of God. And I'm telling you, in a world of good deeds, uh, in a good world for good works for salvation, uh, we come up to the idea, well, you know what, there's good in me if I just keep the Ten Commandments, if I just follow the golden rule. Something I do. There was a man one time that came to the Lord Jesus, and he said, a good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord said, nothing, not a thing, not a thing. And you'll see this principle come to life when you begin to uh, work with people, do personal work. I know you boys on the street down there preaching, Chris and you guys, uh, you see it all the time. You start to witness to somebody, you hear all kinds of stuff. Why? Well, I don't even think there's any, I don't, I don't even know why we need to have churches today. I've never met a sinner for a long time. You guys that are on the street down at Restart, passing out hot dogs and tract, you see it. When you start to do personal work and you start to talk to people about their soul and open up the Bible, they're going to see it. And when you start to deal with an unsaved man or even a saved man that's out of fellowship, the issue will always be about their own goodness, their own righteousness over God's goodness and God's righteousness. Because the single issue in both cases will be what a man is depending on to justify himself before God. And that's the question today. What are you depending on in your life to justify you before God? Because someday you're going to stand before God and the books are going to be open and you're going to have to stand there justified. You're either going to do it by yourself through your own good works or something that the Lord done for you. And in 40 years, I've never met a man 40-some years in the ministry. I've never met a man, no matter where he's at in life, rich or poor, that didn't hold himself in some high opinion about himself in one way or the other. you got the self-made millionaire. He'll, he'll talk about the fact that he, he's a self-made millionaire because he's a great deal maker or because he does this or he now has to make good investments. And he's on the top of the scale and he's worth millions and millions of dollars and he'll tell you that it's all about how good he makes deals or how he can negotiate or how he does this or how smart he is in making investments. Then you go to the other end of the spectrum and you'll find a guy down on a skid row coming out of the City Union Mission. He'll brag about the fact that he can find a place to sleep every night. That he always can find a hot meal when he's hungry. I don't care what spectrum of side you're on, human nature is always is I have the ability to take care of myself and I can do it because of me. You see it when you have the Bible scholars and even a lot of the pastors, they brag about their education, what they know that you don't know. And uh, they always like to keep that carrot over your head, so to speak, that carrot on a stick where you always got to come to them. 
because they, they, they want you to understand that their, their knowledge, their wisdom, and what they understand that you don't, and you'll never attain to. And it, it lifts them up. It makes you look at them like, wow, I want to be like that. Oh, but you'll never get that way because they'll always keep you at arm's distance. Around here, I'll tell you straight out of the chute. If you, in five years, if you don't have a good handle on the Bible, and if 10 years you don't know it as good as anybody in this place, including me, there's something wrong with you, not the Bible, because you should know it. God didn't take the Word of God and just give it to an exclusive few that could diddle it out to you. He didn't do that. The doctor, he'll brag about his ability to save lives and diagnose issues that, that nobody else can. He develops what they call the God syndrome, that he saves so many lives that he does so many wonderful things, that he actually gets the idea that he's above everybody else, that there's something about him likened to God. You see, the lawyer. A lawyer brags about getting people off and getting a large settlement. You see it on the, uh, the TV all the time with these, these legal firms. They're up there talking about how many millions and millions of dollars they've got. I mean, in truth, uh, you know, man does that by human nature. But in truth, I want you to know today, there's no good on this earth outside of Jesus Christ. There's none. I don't mean to say this wrong, and, and just let me put it, hear me out, and, and try to see where I'm coming from. I appreciate people who help people. I really do. I, I, watch, the, I watch the TV commercials about places like St. Jude's Hospital, and I see those little kids, you know, that have got cancer. My heart goes out to them. I, I can't imagine what the parents must go through. Uh, you go down to KU or some of the other children's hospitals and walk through there and those little kids with their heads shaved and everything. And, and, I, and I appreciate the fact that, that somebody is out there taking them. And, you know, St. Jude's Hospital on their commercials, they'll tell you. They'll show you the little kids. They'll show you all the things that they do. And then they'll tell you, a parent never gets a bill from us. And, and I appreciate that. I really do. But I got to be honest with you. Now, that's, from the world standpoint, that's good. And I'm, and I'm glad that somebody's doing that. But i got to come at it from the Bible. What good is it? What, and I ask this question all the time when I see something. What good is it? What good is it if you, if you help some family and help some child who's going through some suffering if the kid dies and goes to hell because you didn't give him the truth? I mean, what is good? What is, I ask myself, what is the good of this? If the end result doesn't bring that person to an eternal relationship with God, what good is it? I mean, it looks good from the world, and I even like the fact that they do it. And I thank God for it, and I, I appreciate the fact that they, they are generous with what they do. I know of churches that, that give, uh, they, they have incredible uh, ministry to, to, to people who are down and out. And they give them food, Salvation Army, you know, goodwill. There it is, goodwill, see? And I look at those and I thank God. I don't want anybody to go hungry. I wish I could feed the world. I wish I could. I, I, I wish that, you know, that instead of four or 500 people, we'd feed 1,000 people, 2,000 people. I really do. But I got to be honest with you. I do not see the value in feeding somebody's flesh if you don't give them something to satisfy their soul. I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, what is good is that the guy to give him a hot meal and give him a, a cold drink of water if, he, if you're going to let him spend an eternity in the lake of fire because you have the truth and didn't tell him. See, there's the world's goodness and then there's God's goodness. And God's goodness is Jesus Christ. You know, we use the terms, my goodness, for goodness sakes. 
Goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness. My graciousness. I want to tell you something. All those terms go right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about goodness gracious. That's grace that is good. We talk about my goodness. That's Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. That's Jesus Christ. From the Bible standpoint, the goodness of God will always be the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the goodness of God that is manifest through the express person of the image of Christ, Hebrews chapter uh, 1. You go over to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16, a verse of dealing with the millennial reign of Christ. It's dealing with Christ sitting on the throne. And it says in verse 16, it says, And the Lord their God shall save them in that day, second coming, as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up and ensign upon his land. Now look at verse 17. I'll just listen to it. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and the new wine the maids. Now in the millennium, he's sitting on the throne. Christ is. We're not talking about in a spiritual way that we're talking about his goodness when he's up in heaven. No, no. In this particular passage here, he is sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. The whole earth is at rest and people are looking at him and seeing the goodness of God sitting on that throne. Back in Exodus chapter 33, another great place. Verses 18 and 19, which when Moses was up there, he actually saw the glory of God. And a lot of guys have a tough time with this because, you know, uh, he says, you can't uh, see my face, and, you know, and uh, you can see my, my backside, and you can see as I pass through there, I want to put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'm not going to let you see, uh, see my face. But when he comes down through there, what Moses is actually seeing, and most people don't get this, Moses, Moses is actually seeing a, a, the Lord Jesus Christ the way he's going to be at the second coming of Christ. And the Bible says that no man can see that face till Christ shows up. So he couldn't see his face. But I'll tell you what he says. The Lord, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, well, you, I'll let you see my glory, but you can't see my face. So I'm going to put you over here, and here's what you are going to see. He says in verse 18, Moses to God, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Verse 19, and he said, now keep in mind, Christ is going to walk past Moses, and Moses is going to get to see part of him. And he says, I will, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Jesus Christ is the goodness of God. And he's told Moses right there, he says, I want to see your glory. And it's Christ going through, and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to make all my glory pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy and whom I will show mercy. That's the glorified Christ right there. The glorified Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he appeared to Moses, is God's goodness. And as a Christian, we are to do good things unto others. We are. But it's not based on our goodness. Our goodness toward each other is not based on my goodness, because I have none, but rather the goodness of somebody who is already inside me because of my salvation. It can't be me. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm crucified with Christ. It can't be me, but I'm alive in God. So what goodness that we do have that we give to each other has nothing to do with Bob Alexander. It has nothing to do with you. But it has to do with the fact there was a day in your life when you trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ came into you and if you have any goodness at all, because God's living inside you. That's your goodness. That's your goodness. Last week, 
a little bit this morning, we talked about the depth of God. As you grow deep in the understanding and the knowledge of God, your goodness grows. They go hand in hand. As you grow in your depth and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and your understanding, then so does your goodness to others through your relationship with Christ. Uh, you begin to see them as God sees them. And, and you know, preaching and, and the Christian life, I know it breaks down into a lot of things, but if you would just bring it down to one simple fact and one simple truth and one simple statement, preaching and Christianity is nothing more than you and I being saved and understanding the goodness of God, giving that goodness to somebody else. Bible likens it in a lot of different ways. Bible likens it taking the Word of God and giving a thirsty man a cold drink of water. Bible likens it to a starving man getting the manna from heaven. Bible likens it to so many different metaphors that we can understand and puts it into a context that we can all grasp and get. But at the end of the day, it's simply this. If you're saved here this morning, the only goodness about you is Jesus Christ inside you, and we are to give that goodness to others. It's just that simple. Then the last part of the verse. But who can find a faithful man? Now that's a great verse. Last part of that verse. And that man here will be the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be God's goodness. Um, you know what? No one in the Bible could, 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 could do what he did. And this is why nobody in the Bible is good other than him. That's why nobody in this room is good because he's the only one who could do what he says there. He is the only faithful man. You know, Moses, Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2, that he was faithful in all of his house. But there were times in his life, like in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, that he failed and he wasn't faithful. You take Abraham. He's called the friend of God. I mean, I mean, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, that he staggered not at the principles, the promises of God. And, you know, he was faithful to God and he was, call, he was called God's friend. But in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, he wasn't faithful in everything that he did. David, the great psalmist of Israel, who the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He wasn't faithful in everything that, God, that, that he did. The greatest Christian that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. I mean, who had the experience that nobody else in the Bible had other than John. He has the experience of living under the law, but then living under grace. And God allowed him to do that because he's a picture of you and me. He understood the Old Testament law, but he understood the concept of grace. You and I need to have the same concept. We had to, have a, we had to be an expert in the law as far as the God dealing with Israel, but we live and understand where we're at with grace. But in Acts chapter 20 through 28, even he couldn't stay faithful all the way to the end. And you and I will not be faithful in all we do. As hard as we try, as hard as we want to be, and what makes Jesus Christ so good and makes him the goodness of God is the fact that he's faithful to God and he's faithful to us through his word. Where I don't have any goodness, he's faithful to God to be the goodness that you and I can have. And the job of every child of God is to not proclaim our own goodness. The job of every child of God, rather, is to be faithful in proclaiming God's goodness to everybody else. You know, I watch Christians... I listen to what they say. And I, and I, I look at God's people, and they're, they're always, and, they, and the ones that witness for the most part, they're always telling somebody what God will do for them. And I get that. And I understand that. But let me tell you a better way to witness. 
A best way to witness is not telling somebody what God will do for them. The best way to witness is telling somebody what God has done for you. Proclaiming God's goodness. But unfortunately, Christianity has been reduced to a bunch of talking points. It's been reduced to a, 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 a form of, of, like a form letter. We, 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 have our, we have our pat answers down. We have what we're going to say down. We have been programmed uh, in Christianity and witnessing to uh, follow a little cut, prefabbed little concept of what we're going to say. And most of God's people today, unfortunately, God isn't doing anything in their life. There's nothing that they can say. Most of them have lost their kids. Most of them have lost their, you know, they, 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 they struggle with things in the world. They can't get the victory in anything in their life. I commend them. They want to do the best they can. I get it. But you know what? The real impact in a person's life will be God's goodness in your life or what he's done for you. Not just telling them, this is what he'll do for you. This is what he did for me. This is where I was. I've watched some of you talk to people and deal with people. And I've watched how that you, you do that very thing. You'll talk about where you were when God found you. You'll talk about the struggles that you had. It's one of the most valuable tools that you can ever have in dealing with people. You know why? Because it puts people with problems at ease because they understand that they're not the only one that have problems. There's other people out there just like them. And then you tell them that, you know what, the only thing that got you through where you're at and made you where you're at was the goodness of God. And then you proclaim what God done for you to somebody else, giving them God's goodness, being faithful in that. You know, uh, letting the world see God's goodness through what he has done in our lives, which forces us to ask ourselves, what is he doing in our lives? And I don't care where you're at today. I don't care what you're struggling with. Well, your goal ought to be is to get to the point in your life where you understand the goodness of God for you, being able to give that to somebody else. Now look at verse 7. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Now this is another great principle. You see, when a man proclaims God's goodness, when a man understands God's goodness, and he proclaims God's goodness to others, and he's faithful in doing it, then that will build integrity in his life. Integrity is an incredible thing. You know, I, I tell people all the time that one of the greatest studies in the Bible is the Tower of David. And uh, David's likened, and many times in the Bible, it's likened to, especially in the Song of Solomon, it's talked about a, a strong high tower. And the Bible talks about the Tower of David. And that's a great principle for you and for me because that tower represents uh, everything that uh, we should have in our life. And that tower was... Was, was built high where David could go out and he could look overlook the walls of Jerusalem. And the tower for you and for me that we build in our life will be the integrity of the Word of God and the things that we put in our life that gives you the ability to be up above all the problems in life, to live above the circumstances, but yet to see far beyond, to see what's coming before it gets here. Wouldn't you love to have the ability in your life to know what's going to happen to you tomorrow or next week? Maybe you wouldn't. I always thought to myself it would be great to know what day you were going to die, unless it was tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't even think if it was 20 years from now, you'd want to know. You know, it's a thing where, uh, but the Bible is the one book that when you learn the principles, that it'll show you what's coming your way. 
It'll let you know what's coming down the line that you've got to deal with. And when it finally comes, it'll give you the ability to look over the circumstances. You see, what happens is when you don't have that tower and something comes into your life, it's really hard to see God and what God is doing when you're looking through the chaos. You've got to get above the chaos. You've got to let the chaos be down here, but you've got to be high enough that you can look over it and see what's on the other side. That's the tower. And yet the tower is strong. Tower is your defense. It's really tough to attack a tower because when you've got the high ground, you can shoot down on somebody. It's a lot tougher than shooting up at somebody. And you have the ability that you're in a tower that when somebody's attacking you, not only is the tower built strong, but you're in a position that you control the situation around you. That's what the Bible does for you. That's what it does. That's the concept of a high tower in the Bible. Uh, it's an incredible concept. But you know what? You only build a tower by building integrity in your life. And, and over there in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, it talks about that when somebody builds a tower, there's a cost involved. Um, you may want to build a you may want to build something in your backyard and just go down to Home Depot and pick up all the supplies to do it. Or you may want to go someplace and get what you need to build a, you know, a, a shed in your backyard or maybe even a tower. I don't know, whatever you want to do. But you'll never build a, the Tower of David in your life by just going picking up a bunch of materials and slapping it together. It's a process because it has to be built right. It has to be built strong. I'm a terrible builder. I remember one time I, I, I wanted to build a building, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I thought I knew how to lay block myself. And uh, so I got the cement, I got the blocks, and I did everything. And I remember I got the first wall up, and I got it about up to here, and I looked at that thing, and it looked really good. It looked really good. And it stood for a couple of days. I had to work. I didn't have time to get the rest of it done. And, but I had one wall up, and it looked pretty good. And uh, I remember, I'll never forget, we came out there, and one of my friends was out there, and he said, boy, it looks really good. Uh, and then he just happened to lean up against it like it did, and the whole wall fell over. <laughs> See, I didn't know that you had to tie those blocks together. I mean, who, who would have thought that? Just slap those suckers on top of each other. Put the cement on, you know? But you see, there's a process to build it strong. And most God's people, most Christians, build themselves like I built that wall. And there's no strength to them. Yeah, because they don't take the time to tie in anything in their life from the Word of God that makes it strong. And it's a thing where uh, you, you, there's a cost involved in that. There's a cost involved. You're not going to just run down to Home Depot and buy the parts and come back and put it together. It's a process. And it's going to cost you something. It's the cost of building integrity in your life. It really is. And when a man, man proclaims God's goodness and is faithful in it, that is what will build integrity. But I'm going to tell you right now, there will be a cost involved of you proclaiming God's goodness. Because you live in a world that doesn't want to hear about God's goodness because they think their own goodness is going to get them through. Integrity, as far as I am concerned, is the missing element in Christianity today. The word integrity suggests a, a wholesomeness, a, a, an, an unbroken state. A, a moral soundness, a purity, a fixed lifestyle that is unmovable, a soundness in a person's life based on God's goodness and righteousness in our life, and then us spending our life proclaiming that, building integrity. 
in the Bible, you know, I, I know that integrity means you have a sound life. It's fixed. It's anchored. And your integrity is, is the thing that is anchored, you're anchored to. And yet when I come through the Bible, I find very clearly six, uh, six solid principles that will build integrity. Six sound principles that if you want to build integrity in your life, uh, this is how it comes. You know, integrity, you don't get it by being born with it. No, integrity has to be something that you build out of goodness. And that's why an unsaved man, uh, he may have integrity as far as the world's concerned, but he'll never have integrity as far as God's concerned. And when that comes through the Bible, you'll find the six things that the Bible says are sound things that you'll put in your life. The first one's found in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, and also found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, where the Bible talks about sound doctrine. You see, sound doctrine has to be the basis of where you start. There has to be an absolute in your life that is sound, a standard in your life that does not change, a standard in your life by which everything else in life is judged by, and that will be doctrine. Doctrine means to teach. And when you come to church here and you get all the things that we have, one of the things, and you know we're a big stickler on this, is the fact that it's sound doctrine. We want the Bible to be taught correctly. We want you to get it and understand it correctly. And so the second thing then found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is once you build sound doctrine in your life on the way to building integrity, the second thing that will bring in your life, the Bible says, will be a sound mind. You'll think right. You'll think right because you're thinking based on the sound doctrine. And you're on your way now to building integrity in your life because integrity will be a soundness in your life that will keep you. Once you have sound doctrine, that will build you a sound mind. And then Titus chapter 1 verse 13 takes it to the next level. And that is that you have a sound faith. A sound faith simply means you don't believe things about the Bible. A sound faith is you know why you believe what you believe about the Bible. That's the key. I know lots of people that, that know things about the Bible. But they don't know why they believe about the Bible. You have people who say, well, I believe, you know, I believe that salvation through the blood of Christ is, yeah, but if you put a gun to their head and try to get them to show you in the Bible the process of a man getting born again, they couldn't do it. And I believe they're saved. I really do. But I believe that a sound faith is based on you understanding why, how it works in your life. See, I'm not satisfied for you just to be saved, though I'm glad you are. I want you to know why you're saved. I want you to know how you got saved. I want you to know that what happened the moment before you trusted Christ as your own personal Savior, you were dead in trespasses of sin. When you asked God to save you in that instantaneous split second of a moment, what changed about you? What changed about you? What changed from where you were unsaved in just that millisecond? Now you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Why? What happened? What took place? Somebody says, well, you're born again. No, that, that, that's just the term for it. So you're washed in the blood. No, that's just the term. What actually transpired from point A to point B? People say, well, you know, I know I can't lose my salvation. Do you know why you can't? Or did you just hear somebody say that all your life, so you want to believe it's true, so you just carry on the tradition? Do you know why you can't? Did you open the Bible and, 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 and show somebody from the Word of God why you could not lose it? Sound faith. Then the next thing, once you get a sound faith, the sound faith in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 will lead to sound words. Now, words are things that you are going to build on. 
words are, words are, 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 are key because words are how we form sentences. And we form sentences, the Bible says, by, and that's the next one, by the way, in Titus chapter 2, verse 8, would be sound speech. So we'll take these two together. You learn how to speak soundly by using sound words. In other words, there needs to be a mindset behind you saying what you say. You need to have a thought process. We talked about it last week in Proverbs chapter 20, that every purpose of every man is, is by counsel. Having a principle behind what you say. When I get up here and preach to you and talk to you, I talk to you about uh, based on, on what I know to be true. Uh, I based on the words. I pick my words very carefully. I choose my words to make my speech flow. I don't use terms that you can't understand. I don't give a sermon that you walk there and say, that was great. I wonder what he said. I, it's a thing, when you leave here, I want it to be very clear to you. I want you to understand it. When I teach you the Bible, I, I, I come at it by breaking the Bible down the easiest way I know how that I did for me. I could take the most complicated passage or book in the Bible and break it down for you uh, that you walked out of here totally getting it. I don't have that ability because I'm a genius. I have that ability because I was so stupid. That's the way I had to do it. And I figure you're dumber than I am, so if it works for me, it works for you. That's sound speech. So you have sound doctrine that leads to a sound mind, that leads to sound faith, that leads to sound word, that leads to sound speech. And then the sixth thing, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21, will be sound wisdom and discretion. Now that's integrity. That will build a soundness in your life that will keep you and hold you through everything. And the greatest example of that in the Bible will be Job, obviously, in the book of Job, who, the Bible says, walks in his integrity with God, and that gets him through everything that he faced and all of his ordeal in life. Now Job chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, you know the story, Satan came into the Lord and said, Hey, how about Job down here? You know, I'm going to kick him around a little bit. And uh, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there was none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And he still, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Now here is a case where the Bible says that there's none like him. He's one of a kind. And I, and I might say to you that as a child of God this morning, I don't care where you're at, I don't care what you've done. In God's mind, you're one of a kind. You just haven't figured it out yet. He saved you for a purpose. You're, you're, you're a rare commodity in his sight. You just don't see the value of that yet. There's none like him. He was a perfect man. Now, he wasn't perfect in the fact that he was sinless, but he was perfect in the fact that he walked with God as best as he could. And the Bible says that he was an upright man and the Bible says that he feared God. And the Bible says he eschewed evil. Uh, that's an old English word for he avoided evil, stayed away from it. And concerning his integrity and how much it meant to him and what he realized it was, over there in Job chapter 27, verse 5, Job said, Till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. Integrity is everything. But integrity doesn't come because you want it. You don't buy it at the store. You don't get it online. You can't get it through Amazon. Integrity is something that has to be built. And it has to be built on sound principles, six of them that I gave you, and, uh, and that's how it works. Job's victory is based on his knowing who God is and his goodness uh, in the Old Testament sense. You know, we'll all face some things in life that are, are not always easy. 
And one of the things that I think is probably a, a, a blessing that will help anybody when they have to go through something is understanding God's goodness. I, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, no matter what you're going through, you know that God saved you for a purpose and he saved you for a reason. Even if it doesn't come out the way you wanted to come out, you can rest in the fact that it's God's goodness that got you through whatever you went through. Amen. That's the key. That's the key. And I'll tell you something else. It's God's blessing uh, him and getting him through based on his integrity that he built into his life. And I, and I want you to know something. Job doesn't have a Bible. Job didn't have a Sunday morning church to go to. Job was not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Job did not have, have friends like you. He did not have a pastor he could call. He did not have people in his life that would work for him. He didn't have a prayer group that he could go to every morning. All he had was God. And I want to tell you something. With all the things that we do have, you have a Bible, you have good Christian friends, you have a church, you have a pastor, you have all of the things that he didn't have, and yet God's people today still can't build integrity. You know why? Because none of those things will build integrity. You know what builds integrity? Your relationship with Almighty God and understanding His goodness. When you put those things in your life and you focus on those things, you'll build integrity. Now I want to know you something else here. Last part of that verse. I want you to notice that integrity gets passed on to your kids. Integrity uh, in Christians uh, to do right and walk with God will be found uh, in the parents first. And then it'll, it'll, be, it'll be trained in, into the children. Integrity is something that is passed on from one generation to another. It's a character quality. It's, a bear, it's parents understanding what their responsibility is to their children. It's their understanding that the children are a heritage of the Lord, not their heritage. It's them understanding that they, they have something that they have to be accountable for with their children. And then they come to the point where they, they take those things of integrity and they build it and they put it into, into their lives. And it's based, the integrity that your kids will have or will not have is simply based on your integrity whether you have it or not. See, integrity isn't something that the kid is just born with. Integrity isn't something that he just gets someplace along the line. I just noticed those footprints on top of the ceiling up there. Which one of you kids did that? You guys amaze me. I'm just looking around there. I thought... Integrity is walking on the ceiling when nobody else can. They're not born with integrity. You have to build it. You have to train for it. You'll watch a guy who's a good boxer or a good athlete, no matter what he does, he may have some, some fundamental skills in his life, but he didn't become a world champion boxer or a world champion athlete without training for it. And when you get saved, you have all the raw things in your life to be something great for God. But it isn't just going to happen. You're going to have to train for it. We're going to have to discipline yourself to some principles. We call it discipleship. You're going to have to discipline yourself to some things that will build integrity in your life. 
And integrity will always start with you understanding who God is and you understanding who you are and then letting God build it and take you the way he wants you to go. Now, I want to I wanna give you three things that integrity will do for you. And it's valuable, and you need to get based on that. You need to get it. You need to get it in your children's lives. And it all goes back to based on proclaiming the goodness of God, Jesus Christ, to others. That'll build integrity in your life. I want to tell you something. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody said something mean, derogatory about you that wasn't really true, and you found out about it later, and it, nobody, nobody likes to be, have something said about them. None of us do. But how much more it hurts when you have people who are your friends who were in that little group and nobody said anything in your defense. They just stood by silently while they trashed you, bashed you, and, and said all the things that you wanted to say. Now, I say that to say this. I know that God doesn't need any of us to stick up for him. He's a big boy. And at the end of the day, he's he going to handle it all. And I know the Bible doesn't need anybody to defend it. It'll stand on its own two feet. Well, I want to tell you something. There is a special blessing for the child of God who will take God's side against the world. Amen. We had a guy back in Canton, Ohio. His name was Bill Aiken. He was one of Mel's right-hand men. Bill Aiken was a tall, lanky guy. You know, he's just a great guy. Loved the Lord. Bill Aiken taught me something one time that he probably doesn't even remember that he did. We were preaching down at, uh, I was leading singing and playing the trumpet for Mel down in uh, Steubenville, Ohio. And Bill went with us. And we had, an, we had an, about an hour, we got there early, had an hour before we had to be at the church. And so um, we, uh, we went over and got up to get a piece of pie and a cup of coffee, you know, just get something to hold us over until we got out, done out of there. So we're sitting in a restaurant there and there's a bunch of farmer guys in there and, you know, rowdy types in this restaurant. And uh, we're sitting there, you know, and, and these guys are just using God's name in vain, especially one guy. He's just, he just using God's name in vain up one side and down the other. It's GD this, GD that, and just on and on and on. So we get ready to leave. And Bill says to Mel, he says, you get the check. He says, I'll be right with you. He walks over to this guy, and he says, you know what, sir? He says, I heard you talking about a friend of mine. And he, I said, you were saying some things about him, and, and I, just, I just want you to know those things aren't true. The guy looked at him and said, well, I, who, I don't know who you are. What friend of I talking about you? And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he's not how you portrayed him. And he says, I just want to give you this gospel track that maybe you would read this and you'd find that he's not, he's not the guy that you just said he was. Now, this guy could have wiped us off the floor. He was a big old farm boy, you know, and he was, he was, he was huge. And uh, I'd have taken him on first just to be killed and then get out of there, you know, and then let them guys handle it. That old boy looked at him and he says, I'm sorry, sir. I apologize. I didn't mean to offend the Lord Jesus Christ in your presence. And he took the track. 
I want to tell you something. God doesn't need us to stick up for him. God doesn't need you and me to defend his Bible. But I want to tell you something right now. There's a special blessing from God to those people who will. Because even though God doesn't need it, he appreciates the fact that you and I will stick up for him in a world that wants to throw him down. That you and I will proclaim his righteousness to a world that won't. Just like old Bill did. And that's why I've never shunned away from to an issue with the Bible. Never shunned away from anything. I just won't. I, you know what? It's not that I feel that God needs my help. He certainly doesn't. But after the goodness that he's given me and what he's done for me in my life and the church that he's given me and the people that I have in my world and everything that God has given me, I'm going to tell you something. You are not going to speak bad of him in my presence. I'll stick up for him. He doesn't need it. I mean, the angels are up there, and they're looking down, and they're seeing me make a fool of myself with somebody or some of you, and the angels are saying, well, he, don't need, he, don't, he don't need that. Well, that, that's pretty dumb, isn't it, Lord? Look, he's over there, and the Lord says, that's my man. He's got my back. You got his back today? Really? I mean, I, I know he doesn't need it. He doesn't. But there's a special blessing in taking God's side against his enemies that falsely accuse him. Sticking up for God's son. Now I say that to say this because the first thing that integrity will do in proclaiming God's uh, goodness, it'll, it'll, it'll preserve you and your family. Proverbs 25 verse 21 says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait upon the Lord. You know, one of the amazing things about the King James Bible is the hand of God's preservation on it. For 400 years it stood the test of time. For 300 years there was no other Bible out there other than the Roman Catholic Douay Rings. But for 400 years there's been no stand. You notice that all the new Bibles they come up with, they always compare it to that one. Because that, they know that that's the Word of God. That's something about that. And I'm telling you, I look at the hand of God preserving that Bible and how God down through history, where man tried to tear it up, man tried to get rid of it, man tried to alter it, man tried to burn it, he tried to kill millions of people and made it a, a capital offense to even own one, punishable by death, and how God through that thing preserved it right down to you and I can have it today. I'm going to tell you something. That preserving power, God in that book, when you put that book in your life and you build integrity out of the Word of God and proclaim God's goodness, that book and the preservation of that book will preserve you. It'll preserve your family. It'll guarantee you that you'll have everything that God wants you to have. I'm not saying it's going to guarantee you live to 110, but I'm guarantee you that none of your enemies will ever prevail over you. I'm guarantee you that he'll stick up for you just like you stick up for him. I guarantee you that uh, there'll be people out there in your world that hate you and hate you for the book you teach and, and, and preach and, and do all the things that you do. There were people out there and you know what? You take your life right now and their life right now and then go 20 years fast forward down the line and see where they're at and see where you're at. He'll preserve you. He'll preserve your kids. The goal of every one of your parents is to have your kids by your side in ministry. That heritage going on, that they see mom and dad proclaiming the goodness of God, and then it just comes right into them that they forget. They see the integrity in mom and dad, and that integrity gets passed on to them generation after generation after generation. When you get into this book, excuse me, when this book gets into you, it'll build the integrity in your life that you need to have. 
And it'll take, you'll take your stand for God, God will take your stand for you. I'll tell you the second thing integrity does. It'll keep you in fellowship with God. Psalm 41, 12 says, And as for me, thou upholdest me in thine integrity, in mine integrity, and shedest me before thy face forever. You know what? The great study in the Bible to study the word face. It's a great study. And, uh, you know, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 34, verse 10, it talked about uh, uh, that uh, there would never be another prophet like Moses that all Israel would ever see who spoke to God face to face. And that verse says that when you have integrity, it'll keep you, it'll keep you before God's face. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, God is saying, cleanse us from all sin. Continually walking in the light, seeing His face. Integrity, rock solid in my relationship with Christ that nothing or no one will ever take it from you. Now, I know we all have times in our life where we go up and we go down, we have little issues. I'm not talking about that. We're all human. I just showed you that the greatest, wisest, holiest men in the Bible couldn't be faithful in everything they did either. But the key word is consistency. I'm not expecting you to live a perfect life. I'm not, nor is God. He's not expecting me to live a perfect life. But I'll tell you what he is expecting. Here's what integrity will do for you. You're all going to get out of fellowship. You're all going to say something stupid, do something stupid, think something stupid, or just be stupid. Integrity is, is when you fall, you get right back up. Amen. Integrity is when you fall, you get right back up. You get it right with God, 1 John 1, 7. You get back in the fight. You don't stay down. You don't wallow in it. You don't feel sorry for yourself. You, you, you make a mistake. You recognize the mistake you made. You realize that you got the integrity of God, and your mission is to proclaim that goodness, so you fall, so you fell. I get it. We all do. I'm not following you for falling. I'm following you for not getting up when you do. Get it right with God. Get back up. Get back in it. That's what integrity will do for you. It'll keep you before God's face because you'll understand and you'll realize that the greatest asset that you are to God is proclaiming His goodness. Then I'll tell you the third thing. Integrity will guide you through life. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of the transgressors shall destroy them. John 16, 13. John 16 is the great definitive chapter in the Bible on the Holy Spirit of God, and it says that the Holy Spirit of God will lead and guide us into all truth. Psalms 32, verse 8 says, I will, I, will, uh, I will entreat thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will give thee, uh, I, will, I will guide thee with mine eye. God looks at the Bible one way and we look at the Bible another way. That's the problem we have. That's why we can't get the guidance that we need. You look at it one way, he looked at it the other way. But you see, when you build integrity, integrity builds some things in you. And in time, integrity will get you to the point where you quit looking things at it the world's way or even your way and you'll start looking at it as God's way. And you'll see what he sees. And he'll guide you, guide you in life through his eye. His eye, not yours. I, I think one of the most amazing uh, books in the Bible is the book of Song of Solomon. And, uh, you know, it breaks down where the bride is talking about her husband, Christ, church to Christ. And then Christ is talking about his bride, the church. 
And over there in the Song of Solomon chapter 5, it talks about Christ, and it, it, it goes down and graphically displays him in his beauty. And it says that he has the eyes of a dove. Now in the Bible, the dove is, a, is, is the type of the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. A dove is a very peaceful animal. It's a, it's a very, it's a very, um, uh, it's not, it's not in, in like all the other birds, it's, it's in a class unto itself. You hear them in the morning, they're called morning doves. And you always see that doves are, you know, I, that's why, I, you know, I could never hunt during dove season. I just can't kill the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> just kidding you. Don't hit type. Song of Solomon chapter 5, when it talks about Christ, it talks about that he has dove's eyes. He sees things through the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he's saying here. And he says, I want to guide you through mine eye. So when you go over to Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 1, where it's Christ describing the bride, his, his, the church, it says the church has dove's eyes. See, the goal in your life and the goal in my life is to look at things and see them through his eye. And when you see things the way God sees them, he'll guide you with his eye, not yours. Your eyes and my eyes has been the source of every problem we have. You know that? Something has to change about that. And the guidance of God through integrity, through proclaiming God's goodness, comes down to him guiding you with his eye, not yours. Psalm 73, verse 24 or 29 says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward uh, receive me to glory. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 23, 19 says, Hear thou my son, and be wise, and give thy feet, or give thy heart, excuse me, uh, in the way. When a man builds the, through proclaiming of God's goodness and integrity in his life, when he builds a tower, a strong tower, that stands above everything else on this earth, that proclaims God's goodness, it will affect every aspect of his life. It will affect the world around him. He'll never see it the same way again. And the best part of that is they'll never see him the same way again. It'll affect his family. It'll form the pattern of integrity. And God always uses patterns. Everything he does, he does through a pattern. And if you want, if as a parent, you want to have the, a child get to where it is, Develop the pattern of integrity, integrity in your own life and watch it move into his life or her life. It will affect his life. It will affect his, his own life and everything in it. Uh, you'll now know who you are in Christ and you'll now know who, how God looks at you. And through the integrity of proclaiming the goodness of God, God will establish you and everybody will know who you are. That's Samuel back there in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when God did all that he did, and Bible 5 says that God established him, it says that all Israel knew that he was a prophet of God. You put the integrity of your life of proclaiming God's goodness to the world, and you get yourself dialed into where God wants you, the whole world will know where you stand. They may not like it, but they'll know where you stand. His life, his family, his ministry will now be built on the integrity of the Word of God, that will preserve him in all that he does. Bible says in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor seen in the city of the scornful. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and in this law must he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and everything he doeth shall prosper. There is the preservation of God. Your leaf never withering, and whatever you do shall prosper.
in child stories, there's a, there's a story of King Midas. Remember him? And his, his request was that every, he, he was so, he wanted gold and all the things that he, he, you know, riches. So he asked that what, he would have the power that whatever he touched would turn to gold. And so he goes through, the, he gets that, and he goes through the palace, and he touches this, and it turns to gold. Oh, he's happy. He touches this, it turns to gold. Oh, he's so happy. He touched the this, and it all turned to gold. Everything he touched. About that time, his little girl ran into him, and he touched her. She turned to gold. Now, see, this is how the world looks at it versus how the Bible looks at it. He was heartbroken that his own child had turned to gold. But I want to tell you, for a Christian, when you have that golden touch that everything is right in your life was gone, you want your children to be turned into gold. And they'll only do it by your touch. Because you have the integrity in your life that your leaf is never withering and whatever you do is going to prosper. It's going to turn to gold. And as the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says on that foundation will be gold, silver, precious stones. You want to have the ability in your life that everything you touch for God turns to gold as the judgment seat of Christ including your children. His life, his family, his ministry will be built on the integrity of the Word of God that will preserve him and all that he has and it will guide him through his life with the counsel of God and then receive him up into glory. What a great way to go through life. Well, we'll hold up there. Let me say something to you here and... Uh, 